Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Thanks for joining me again this week as the NBA season is now officially over and the Toronto Raptors are your NBA champions for the 2018-2019 season. And now that the season is done, we all move into draft mode. Not that the Bulls haven't been doing that for the last six months, but it's, I guess it's time for the rest of the league to catch up. They, The Raptors and the Warriors in particular will be entering draft mode where the Bulls have been sort of operating for the last half year or so. But we're coming at you with less than seven days to go before the draft itself. And as is always the case, the rumor machine is humming and the takes are flying. So it only makes sense to add my worthless opinion into the fold. But I'm happy to say that I'm not alone today. In fact, rather than having the typical one guest alongside me, in today's case, I've got two cash-strapped lads joining me on the podcast today. So let's welcome in Ricky O'Donnell and Jason Pat of the Cash Considerations podcast onto Bulls HQ. Fellas, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having, having us. Looking forward to a nice little uh, crossover episode. Definitely. And um, I look, I'm, in, I'm looking forward to this one because... Um, Look, there's not much news to talk about per se about the Bulls, but that doesn't necessarily stop the Bulls Twitter sphere and well, basically just the, the Bulls as a topic online from being mentioned quite quite a bit. And the reason for that is is probably some some speculative thoughts from Zach Lowe on his podcast. And we as a fan base have just basically picked it up and run with it, probably because there is nothing to talk about. And um, we've just gone off 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 uh, off the ledge with the with the whole concept. But I'm referring to potentially what may be involved in in the Anthony Davis trade and obviously it's been long rumored that the Bulls have been into Lonzo into Lonzo Ball obviously the Lakers and the Pelicans are trying to work out a deal uh, Ball will obviously be included in that but it's come out that the Pelicans don't necessarily want the Lakers number four pick they'd prefer a younger not an all-star necessarily but a younger player who's shown some stuff who's shown some promise and that's where Lowe speculated that that a player like Zach Levine potentially may be someone that fits that mold he didn't necessarily report that that is the type of player that uh, the Pelicans would uh, would want but like I said before that didn't stop Bulls Twitter going nuts about the whole thing and I wanted to have a bit of a larger discussion about it because I think it's just an interesting concept in general just to talk about just the thought about what Levine's value is generally. And I, I guess he is a kind of a polarizing player as is Lonzo Ball, but I just wanted to expand on that topic a little bit more. And I mean, we've heard about the Lonzo stuff for a while now that the Bulls potentially are into ball. It, it would probably cost them the number seven pick in this draft, but this Levine for number four, that was sort of, Again, I'll repeat, it's not news, but it's speculative thoughts, but it just sort of added weight to the whole thing. So I wanted to get your opinion on it. I know you guys touched on it on your podcast the other day, but um, I wanted to expand on, it, expand on it here on Bulls HQ. So maybe both of you give me your initial thoughts of what a deal for Bonzo and number seven looks like in isolation, or maybe if you combine it and, and make it a bit of a wider deal where the Bulls send out Levine and number seven, but get back Lonzo and number four as part of the Anthony Davis deal. Yeah, I just want to say here that Ricky basically ruined my my Twitter mentions when he teased us talking about this on uh, Cash Considerations uh, the other the other day. Basically, just was talking about exactly what you said: Levine losing Levine and seven gaining Lonzo Ball in the number four pick, with the number four pick likely being Jared Culver. Ricky all for it, and he'll obviously talk about that. Uh, I'm a bit more skeptical about it. Uh, thinking about it even more, like I was kind of wishy-washy. Like I just don't know if I do it. I I think I'm a bit higher 
on Levine maybe than most people. I feel like I guess a lot of people in in, in my mentions were are were pretty high on Levine and don't like Lonzo. And one thing I mentioned just on Twitter in general was both those players very polarizing players. Levine had is just did have a career season. I thought he had a really nice season. He still does have his flaws, but high volume, efficient score. He got better at playmaking. The defense is still a big problem. But like, I mean, 24 years old, he showed. I thought he showed a lot. He was like borderline all star player. Uh, I don't know. And 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 the, and the contract. A lot of people talk about the contract. I mean, it's only 19 million a year. Something we've, me and Ricky have talked about a lot. Is like compared to a guy like Devin Booker, who's obviously very very good. But Devin Booker's gonna be making like what, like 30 million a year? 20. It's like 25 to 30 million. So like Levine's contract, I feel like, isn't that bad anymore. And I and something I mentioned on the pot, our pod as well was just basically like I feel like Levine would look a lot better. If they the Bulls actually had like a number one star already on the team, and if he was like the second or third guy as like the lead guy, I don't know. But if you look at just in this trade, like if you're coming out of it with Lonzo and Jared Culver instead of what keeping Levine and drafting what Kobe White seven, I mean maybe Culver falls a seven. I would guess that doesn't happen, but maybe maybe that happens. Like, is it really worth getting rid of Levine to get well, basically Lonzo or get Jared Culver? I I don't know if I like those guys enough. Uh, Lonzo, again, polarizing as well. He's can't shoot free throws. His jump shot in general is kind of weak. He's been injured a lot. He is an incredible passer, playmaker. I feel like he would probably really help the transition play with, with, and would help it with Lowry and Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, and Jared Culver, I know Ricky will talk about it. And he's a big fan of Culver's solid all around player. So like, I'm not in quite in on this as much as Ricky is. So Ricky, please do explain why, why you ruined my mentions by, being all for this tr- this trade. Yeah, well, let me just say that when I tweeted that out, half the people re- w- responding were Lakers fans. Who <laughs> thought this deal sucked. And then the other half of the people <laughs> responding were Bulls fans who thought this deal sucked. So that's how you know it's a truly great fake trade. Everyone's mad. No one's happy. Now, there were a few people uh, who did agree that the Bulls would clearly win this trade. There were multiple there were. people. I mentioned saying, you know, wow, the Bulls would get the better player and the higher pick. Now, I think it all comes back to what you think Alonzo Ball is a player. I was a big fan of him coming out of UCLA in the 2017 draft. I have him as the second best player in the draft. He goes number two. Obviously, a lot has changed since that 2017 draft. Markel Fultz in particular looked like one of the best point guard prospects of the decade. Turns out, you know, he might not even be an NBA player anymore. Lonzo has obviously had his own struggles. He struggled to stay healthy. Jason, you mentioned the free throw shooting. His three-point shooting has been really bad, even though it was actually pretty strong in college. In college, Lonzo uh, was a 41% three-point shooter. So, you know, and he was a 67% free throw shooter. So why those two things have totally fallen off in the NBA to the tune of, you know, 33% from three, but man, just horrible from the foul line, 41% last year, 45% as a rookie. He certainly does have a lot of holes in his game. However, I think the pros are going to outweigh the cons uh, as he continues in his career. Still only 21 years old. He'll be 22 at the start of next season. I think that as he adds strength, he'll add some explosiveness, especially in the lower body. That'll help him. His shooting, I think, is just going to get better. I always thought he had good rotation on the ball. When he was in college, I thought that he showcased deep range. His shot hasn't been totally broken from three-point range in the NBA thus far, and I think that he still has a lot of room for improvement in the jump shot. In terms of 
What he does well, well, I think that it's the things that would really benefit the Bulls' rebuild moving forward. You would have someone who is just a really gifted passer and playmaker. That has been the biggest Achilles heel of the Bulls over the last few seasons. They haven't had the type of point guard who can get the offense moving, get him playing at the pace they want to play at, uh, who can just make his teammates better in general. And I think Lonzo Ball checks all of those boxes. Uh, having two big men who could potentially stretch the floor in obviously Larry Markkinen, and I even believe in Wendell Carter's three-point shooting abilities. He, uh, you know, grows up in the league. I think having two big men who can stretch the floor is going to be really good for the Bulls. You also have, in my opinion, one of the better small forwards in the entire NBA in Otto Porter. Uh, all the small forwards who are better than Porter are like star level, right? And then the ones who, uh, you know, are below that. I, I like his two-way game better than any of them. He was really good for the Bulls once he arrived last year. Knockdown shooter, very good defender. I think with Carter, Porter, and Lonzo, you have the foundation for a very good defensive team. Lonzo is a stud defensively. Uh, It's kind of funny because I think the defining moment of his college career, arguably, was when he got torched by De'Aaron Fox in that Sweet 16 matchup. Well, in the NBA, he's proven to be one of the most effective help defenders in the league. He's someone who can really turn defense into offense, gets into the passing lanes, uh, gets some blocks, just has a really good knack for rotations, for where to be at the right time. He's stronger than he looks, and I think he's only going to continue to get stronger, considering he's only 21 years old. Uh, I think that Lonzo would give you a third above average defender. I think he would give you an above average passer and playmaker. And then I think that he has uh, upside as a shooter and as a finisher. Now, you know, the fact of the matter is that he doesn't get to the foul line a lot. You look at his per game free throw stats, one one free throw per game. We're talking at Chris Dunn levels. Uh, of even worse. Even worse. So that is definitely troubling. The durability is troubling. But I do think that he would just get the offense moving in a way that we haven't seen it uh, in years. I mean, when Lonzo is your lead initiator, the ball's just always moving. It's always the the hit-ahead pass is kind of his signature move. Uh, The Lakers in particular last year, I think they were like third or fourth in the West before Lonzo got hurt, right? And then it all just came crashing down. Of course, LeBron got hurt around the same time. So I'm high on Lonzo. I like Levine as well. I'm not totally out on Levine, but... Uh, the ability to get the higher draft pick, I like Jared Culver. If they could take him at four, you'd be getting two guys who would impact the game on both ends of the floor, two guys with some interesting versatility. And while you might take a small step back in the present of the rebuild, the goal should never be to get the eighth seed next year to get the seventh seed. It should be to build a team that can eventually compete within the Eastern Conference for a conference championship, for a trip to the NBA Finals. And I think that they would be raising the overall ceiling of the rebuild by doing a trade to get the fourth pick in Lonzo Ball. I guess I guess that's where this gets interesting for me because like everything you just mentioned there in terms of Lonzo, we'll talk about Jared Culver maybe in a little bit more detail soon. But in isolation, I'm not against a move for Lonzo Ball. In isolation, I'm not against the Bulls obviously drafting Jared Culver. That's probably my best case scenario at number seven, hoping he falls. I think that would be amazing. So in isolation, I completely get it and I'm down with it. But I guess where I start to, to question it all is when you sort of combine it and and you're moving out Levine, who had a career year. And I, I guess, like I said before, he's still a polarizing figure for a rookie in Jarrett Culver, a player that I like, like I said before, whilst also bringing Lonzo Ball, another player I like. It, it's kind of weird for me to be sitting here and not being totally into the move when in isolation, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm totally into those players. But when you combine it all, I just get 
some sort of reservation, you know, in terms of sending Levine out because in a lot of ways, a Lonzo Ball, Jarrett Culver, Otto Porter, Larry Markinen and Wendell Carter starting lineup is kind of everything I would typically like. It's a long, versatile, switchable potential defense. It also features a lot of smart basketball players, a lot of good, smart passers who are two-way players. So that in itself are players that I'm typically looking for. But for whatever reason, I don't know, this one just doesn't feel right for me. I guess I would just worry about the shot creation, I guess. If you really think Culver can become, I don't even know about 1A. It also, I guess, if you have a lot of belief in Lowry becoming like a legitimate 1A star, I just, mm. Levine just brings the shot creation ability to get buckets out of nothing, and we see how important that can be in the playoffs. See, the Bulls are still pretty far away from that, but I mean, just in general, like I, I don't know if they'd have enough there in terms of creating offense. Like it, it would be interesting, and also I guess what also plays into it something you do have to consider though is I, I wouldn't look at the numbers. I know th- these like fake trades have been going around. It's like included Solomon Hill coming back, uh, I, so I don't even know if they would the Bulls would even gain cap space i haven't actually done the actual numbers because i was thinking well maybe then you use if there's any extra cap space maybe use the cap space to go and they'll still have a decent amount of cap space anyway so maybe use that cap space to go help replace the production you're using from levine and then even if lonzo even if he's like a six man or if you go sign a big time six man to score like maybe it would look a lot better like maybe i wouldn't hate it i guess i don't even hate it in general but maybe i would like it a bit more so i think that calculus has to play in it as well but i know people then are worried about well well, then you're still relying on getting something big in free agency and that they, the Bulls have never been able to do that. So, like, there is a lot that just kind of goes into it. Like, just so many moving parts there with, with the trade, with free agency. I just, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't quite buy into it either. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. And I guess my idea of bringing in someone like Lonzo Ball, for example, is he almost compliments Levine as to what Levine can't do, whereas Levine obviously does the same for Lonzo as well. So that's why I was sort of intrigued with the idea of bringing in Lonzo for number seven, if that yeah. made sense, if you know whoever's available at number seven didn't necessarily float my boat, so to speak. So at that point, like that's when Lonzo matching him with Levine makes sense. But when you sort of re- remove Levine for the, from the equation and then you put Lonzo and Culver together I just wonder if there's too much crossover and you're sort of exposing those two players and maybe their combination as a backcourt which probably wouldn't be the best best up shooting backcourt going around for, for quite some time unless one of them really turns around their their shooting profile which I think Culver can do but at least initially it would be pretty bad that's kind of where I'm at where I'm like bringing in Lonzo makes sense with Levine Levine with Lonzo makes sense also but the Culver-Lonzo pairing I, I I'm not sure Ricky, sell us on it right now. Rick, Alonzo and Culver. I really like Culver. So I'm going to have a big profile on Jared Culver on Tuesday on SBNation.com. I talked to his high school coach uh, about his development. He's actually from Lubbock, Texas, which is where he went to college as well at Texas Tech. Uh, and just about, you know, how he sort of rose to become a great player, even though he was an under-the-radar recruit. He was number 312 in his recruiting class, three-star recruit. Texas Tech had never been to the Elite Eight before he arrived on campus. They go to the Elite Eight his freshman year in the national title game. His sophomore year, his sophomore year, he was the only guy on the entire team who would create a shot. Uh, in a parallel from both his high school and college days, 
he moved on the ball during his second year on the team. And in high school, you know, he spent the last two years playing point guard in college this past year. He was the de facto point guard. And he just proved to be a really talented, all-around, efficient, versatile scorer. Now, everyone looks at, uh, you know, the three-point shooting number with Jared Culver, and they think that, you know, why would you want to take a guy in the top five who doesn't have super elite burst in terms of his first step and who doesn't have knockdown three-point shooting ability? Well, uh, what I like about Culver is that he's so well-rounded in every other aspect of the game. Let's just look at his offensive numbers. In transition this year, according to Synergy Sports, he ranked very good in the 67th percentile. In the half court, he ranked very good in the 65th percentile. As a pick-and-roll ball handler, he ranked good in the 63rd percentile. In spot-ups, he ranked good in the 58th percentile. In isolation, he ranked very good in the 77th percentile. Off screens, he was good in the 64th percentile. Cuts, good. Post-ups, very good in the 68th percentile. Handoffs, excellent in the 94th percentile. And then in plays categorized as miscellaneous, he was excellent. So basically, he was good or better at every single aspect of scoring, including on spot-ups. Now, while people do uh, focus on that 30% three-point number, what I think is even more intriguing is that he was able to get off the volume. Just being able to get off volume is a really important skill Uh, From three-point range in today's NBA, he took 5.2 three-pointers per 40 minutes. Compare it to someone like DeAndre Hunter, who was a more accurate shooter by far at Virginia, but he couldn't get off the attempts. He was only taking 3.4 attempts per 40. So I really think that Culver has a strong basis to be a good offensive player because he can run a pick and roll, he can score in isolation, and then off the ball, he's a really smart cutter and finisher who was great at the rim. He only had... So he made 69% of his attempts at the rim, and only 25% were assisted. So basically, he was doing this all himself this year at Texas Tech. He did not have a lot of help on the offensive side of the floor, uh, and he was still able to get buckets efficiently. What's really interesting about Culver is if you compare him to someone like R.J. Barrett. Barrett really drew a lot of criticism this past season for like predetermining a lot of his drives and for having tunnel vision. R.J. Barrett, when he got the ball and decided he was going to try to score, he was not surveying the rest of the floor. He was literally just putting his head down and trying to run over you to try to get a bucket. Jared Culver has a counter for everything. When you stop him, he has a half spin move. He has a crossover. He can finish with either hand. He can finish off either foot. The fact that he always has a trick up his sleeve in terms of a counter, I think, sort of mitigates his lack of elite-level first-step burst. That's another reason why I like him quite a bit. And that's just his offense, because I think that Jared Culver's calling card is going to be his defense. He measured at uh, just a shade under 6'7", 6'9 wingspan. He has a 195-pound frame that, to me, looks like it can add a lot of muscle. I think as Jared Culver goes on, uh, he's going to be someone who eventually becomes pretty jacked. He already gained a lot of weight just between his freshman and sophomore years at Texas Tech. I think he's got the type of frame that can pack on muscle as he gets older. Uh, I think that he's going to be a really good defensive player for a few reasons. First of all, he projects to me as someone who could guard three or maybe even four positions in today's NBA because he's quick and engaged enough to guard a point guard. uh, And I think he can handle bigger players that are going to play the four in today's game. He's really good as a help defender off the ball. He just knows when to help, uh, you know, when to cheat off his man. Stacey King's going to say, KYP, know your personnel. Well, Jared Culver knows that. Uh, He's a really engaged defensive player who just sort of like has a high feel for the game, not only on offense, but also on defense. Uh, 
as a point of attack defender, he's pretty good as well. So I think that Culver is going to be a better defensive wing than RJ Barrett. I think he's going to be a better defensive wing, maybe not than Hunter, but then a lot of the guys in this class. And Culver did have much better block and steal rates than Hunter uh, if you look at their college numbers. So I think Culver's going to, you know, make an immediate impact on the defensive end in the NBA. People have compared him to Evan Turner, which I think is maybe the floor for his offensive upside, but he'll be better than Turner anyway, because he's going to be better defensively. And then, you know, you look at his offensive potential. It's like, if he becomes a good shooter, uh, or if he becomes, you know, an even craftier finisher, if he becomes stronger and can increase his free throw attempts, I just think the median outcome for Jarrett Culver is a above average defensive player and an above average offensive player. I don't know if he's going to have takeover scoring ability. I don't know if he's going to have knockdown shooting ability. Those are typically the two traits that get guys drafted in the top five. But what, how Jarrett Culver's ever able to make up for it is he's just really good and really smart at every other aspect of the game. So to me, he's the second best player in the class. Uh, If he's still there at number four, I think he'd be a great fit for the Bulls. And he would really give them a lot of strength, toughness, and versatility on both ends of the floor. To me, versatility is the name of the game in today's NBA. And for any prospect not named Zion Williamson in this draft, uh, Jarek Culver has the most of it. I mean, for all those reasons that you just noted there, that's why I'm I'm really desperately hoping he falls to the Bulls at seven. Hopefully there's some stupid team out there that that, you know, pick Cam Reddish above him. That would be my um, my ideal plan going into the draft next or this week coming up. So for all the reasons you noted, that's why I want Culver. And, and you got bonus points there for slandering um, RJ Barrett too. I always appreciate that. But I guess my biggest question with Culver, and which you mentioned just there, is the fact that there are some question marks about his ability to, to be that lead scorer, to be that lead perimeter option offensively. And that's kind of what the, the role Levine currently has for the Bulls. So if, if the assumption is that for the Bulls to get Jared Culver, they'd have to take him at number four. And to get number four, you have to trade out Zach Levine. Wouldn't the Bulls be putting Culver into effectively a similar position Levine currently has on the team? And whilst I'm personally of the, the opinion that Culver probably can end up being a better overall player than Zach Levine, I just wonder if the role that Levine is currently cast in sort of serves the Bulls a better purpose than sort of trying to make Culver that player. That, that, I guess that's my main concern right now. Yeah, but, you know, there's other ways to score than just, like, dribbling the air out of the ball. I think of that course. just because Culver doesn't have the sort of isolation probably scoring ability or the open floor scoring ability that Levine has, uh, he's, like, a more willing passer. I think he's a smarter player. And I think that, you know, instead of Levine sort of capturing the offense, monopolizing the offense all by himself, that you'll have a team that just likes to share the ball, that has some shooters, that inverts uh, inverts the court with shooting in the front court, at least if Carter can live up to what I hope he can be as a shooter. You know you already have two knockdown shooters with uh, Markinen and Porter. I think Culver's going to get better as a shooter. I think Lonzo's going to get a little better as a shooter. And then, like, yeah, get a sixth man who can just be, like, your guy who gets buckets off the bench. You know what I mean? I think that with that number 37 pick the Bulls have in the second round, someone like Shamari Pons, who profiles pretty similarly to Kobe White, would be a good pick. Really, to me, this comes down to how good is Lonzo Ball, how good do you think he's going to be, and how good is Levine, and how good do you think he's going to be? Because, obviously, moving up from four to seven is nice. You could all make the argument that, you know, maybe Culver will be there at seven when the Bulls pick, and certainly that's possible. Uh, but the Bulls want a point guard. They seem pretty dead set on on finding one this year. I like Lonzo, but I also am open to the fact that I could be wrong. 
so if anyone wants to, you know, give a, a better portrait of what Lonzo has been his first two years in the league, like that's what I would really be into because I think that while losing Levine, the Bulls would, you know, maybe take a small step back in the present because they wouldn't have that like tough shot making ability, but they would also just take smarter shots in general. So I think it would be a net positive in the long term, potentially. I guess, I guess one, like, you talk about Culver possibly falling into seven. I guess that's one like risk you'd be taking. Like if he did fall and you took Cul- like, would you th- would you be cool with like Culver and Levine basically sharing point guard? Like, but I would you probably rather have like a backcourt of Culver or Levine than Culver Lonzo long term? Right? I don't know. Maybe I like Lonzo, but I might be wrong. Man, I, I I I I can't. I can't buy that much Lonzo stock. Stock. I mean, I, I feel like I'm just not there with him. Just, he's certainly. I mean, he was very hyped. He's got. He's got skills in terms of just the playmaking, the defense. I. I just don't know. He hasn't stayed healthy, and the, sh- the overall efficiency is just not good. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a tough one. I feel like it's like you said. These guys are just super polarizing players. We really don't know what they can be on. We haven't seen what they could be on a good team yet, so it's just it's it's kind of hard to say. It's almost still like a crapshoot, and just kind of almost like your preferences. Well, I mean, I like them both, but ideally, obviously, this isn't going to happen. But I'd love to surround Levine with Lonzo and Jarrett Culver. I mean, that <laughs> yeah, would be, be that great. would be amazing. <laughs> like, I'm not sold on Otto Porter being the guy over the next sort of four to five years for for a number of reasons. Not that's not to say I don't think he's a good player, but I mean. Next to Levine, Culver and Lonzo are basically the perfect fits, but obviously that's not going to be the calculus that the Bulls can uh, necessarily negotiate their way into. But I want to talk more about this after the break. But before we do that, I want to tell the listeners about this week's sponsors. First off, I want to tell you guys about ShipStation. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where you're selling, be it Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get your orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, Blue Wire listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all your major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in blue. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com, make ship happen. Also supporting the show this week is Harry's. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com forward slash blue wire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five blade razor with lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, a rich leathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors, it's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with a quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com forward slash blue wire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. 
If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com forward slash blue eye to redeem your razor for $3. All right, back to the show now. I wanted to just expand about Zach Levine because I think ultimately this is a question about Zach Levine, what you think about Levine and what you think his worth and value to this team is. And I just wanted to have a broader discussion about how we as a fan base sort of view Levine, maybe not just as a fan base, but potentially as franchise too. But I'm just kind of wondering, like, obviously last season, he was the team's best player based on how he performed. He was the most consistent player. And while I'm, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a Levine fanboy over the last few days, I've sort of felt like I had to be <laughs> to some to some extent. And, and whilst I accept he has some very uh, real limitations, I kind of feel that we as a fan base, just generally as a collective, uh, are quick to move on from him and are quick to put him in a deal that makes sense, may not make sense. I'm not necessarily referring it just to this specific deal itself, but I don't know. Are we too quick to wanting to move on from Zach Levine? I understand he comes with some flaws. I understand that he sort of carries some stigma in terms of being a negative player, in terms of not necessarily being the, the smartest basketball player going around, but are we undervaluing what he did did what what he did do rather last season, and uh, are we potentially overvaluing some of these players that aren't necessarily bulls just yet? Uh, yeah, it's it's tough. Like I mentioned before, that I feel like I've become more of a Levine fan. Like obviously, the year after the ACL, he was absolutely terrible. When he signed that contract with the Kings and the Bulls matched it, I was like, eh, I guess I understand why they did it. He's twenty three talented player see see what you got him at like 19 million years not terrible and then he, he went out and had a really nice year I feel like when you like dive into like some of the analytics with him still not very good like like the RPM and all that kind of stuff like just like he's good offensive player but the defense is just so bad where he ends up just basically being like a break even type player I mean he's never won he's been on just bad teams his entire career that's not all on him but you do wonder like just is his defense that bad we're just like the team will never be able to be a good defensive team if he's out there. Like, and it doesn't make sense that he's so bad defensively. Like, he seems like he should be better. There's moments where he should be better. It's just like his awareness, the off ball stuff, just falling asleep, just is, is can kill the team. And sometimes the effort just isn't there either. So it's just like I, I don't know. It's stuff like when when the report when Darnell put out their report a couple days ago that like everybody not named Lowry and Wendell is basically open. The Bulls are open to trade. Like. I was kind of surprised not to see Zach there, I guess. But, I mean, I, technically none of these guys should be untouchable with where the Bulls are at. But just, like, I guess I'm not totally sure how much the Bulls really like him. Like, I know the guy works hard. He tried to take on a leadership role. There was – he did have the stuff with Boylan. Like, I do wonder if maybe there's still – even though Zach Levine offered to pay the fine and there was all that hubbub about that, like, maybe they're still not quite in sync. Maybe not the type of player Boylan really wants leading his team. With just because of what his because of his flaws, like I don't know, man. It's 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 kind of tough. Like I feel like I mentioned, I don't think the contract's that bad anymore. I kind of like him. I, when the, like I said, when that report came out, I was thinking like I wouldn't trade Zach Levine unless I was getting like a legitimate star player back. But now we're talking about possibly trading him for basically a draft pick. So it's like I don't know. It's it's really tough. And we mentioned polarizing player. We've seen both sides of the equation. Some bull, a lot of Bulls fans, I think just like him just because he's an exciting player. He scores a lot of points. Like a lot of casual fans, like, why would you trade that? He's your top scorer. He puts up 24, 25 points a game. And then other people who maybe, maybe more analytically inclined, they see the numbers, they see some of the flaws and they don't think that he's a winning player at all. So it's just, it's, I, I, I kind of like him. I don't, like I said, I'm still kind of skeptical on making this heaven move. 
I would probably rather trade him for like a star player. I, I mean, like moving forward, if the Bulls like flop next season, again, I would probably be more open to doing it, but he's still just 24 years old. We've seen him working his ass off this summer already. I feel like he's a guy that really works hard on on his games. So like, I don't know. I, I, I'd be kind of kind of disappointed if they traded him, although I also just kind of like trades and excitement and all that anyways because the Bulls are usually boring and lame. Well, you're saying you're trading Levine for a draft pick, but you're getting Lonzo back. So really, like Lonzo was the second pick in the draft two years ago. He hasn't had a strong start to his career, but he's only going to be 22 for the entirety of next year. So really, I think it comes back to like how good those two guys are more so than the draft pick position. How, like, Would it shock you guys if two years from now the general consensus was that Lonzo is a better player than Zach Levine? Because that would not shock me at all. I guess I would be kind of surprised. I feel like just Lonzo just has not shown enough for me. Like I, I'm just not nearly as high on him. Things change you are, like, for young players, man. It can all change overnight. I know. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we've seen we've seen it. We've seen it here. We've so we saw Jimmy Butler turn into basically a superstar in in a couple of years. Uh, I, I I don't like ruling stuff out for players. Like even like guys I hate. Like don't not a fan of Chris Dunn. Like I've talked about Cam Reddish. I don't think he's gonna be any good. But like I don't want to rule out like any outcomes here. Just. I just I don't know if I could really get behind that yet. No, I mean there's certainly a path for Lonzo to be. Yeah, I, I don't think most people. I I don't know if the general consensus will agree with it because I I feel like he's going to be one of those players that people will look at the box score and will see his his field goal percentage. They'll see the number of points he has or hasn't scored, and some will you know just discard him completely in the, in a lot of ways that some do with someone like Draymond Green as an example. So Kyle Lowry as Kyle well. Kyle Lowry the, the, the point guards. Exactly. I mean these these type of players there that their value isn't necessarily fully appreciated or comprehended because of what they do or don't do in a box score as such and I, I sound like a complete elitist saying that and I I don't want to come off as that but the the things that Lonzo does bring don't necessarily appear in in a box score so I'm not sure if you'll ever get to a point where he won't have a a suitable number of detractors, one, because of his game, but two, because of who he is and maybe who his father is as well. I think that's part of the issue here too in terms of how people feel about Lonzo Ball just generally. But I think there is, at least in my opinion, a path where he can be a better overall player than Zach Levine. I feel the same way about Jarrett Culver. And I guess, that, like I said before, that's where this whole this whole issue becomes a bit of a, a weird one for me and it can sort of conflates itself because I just said that that I feel like individually that they could be better than Levine. But I just, from a fit perspective is where I start to question it. And I feel dumb doing it because Ricky, I mean, everything that you've said here today, I kind of completely agree with. And it sounds silly to sit here and sort of just, uh, I guess, say that maybe as a combination, it doesn't make sense for me, but I don't know. I'm just questioning myself. Cause like I said, there's a lot of bulls voices out there who I respect who are totally behind this and it kind of makes me feel dumb for not necessarily seeing the same picture that you you may see I guess but um yeah I don't know it's, it's a bit of a weird one but I just posted this on Twitter before and I kind of hate t- talking about a tweet that I just sent out but I guess from a value perspective the way I'm starting to think about Zach Levine is just just from a contract perspective I mean we can talk about his flaws till probably for another t- two hours to be honest with you but I, I, when I compare him to D'Angelo Russell, let's say, and we compare their last season from a per hundred positions basis, their numbers are near identical. And the main difference that I see between the two is one is going to be earning $60 million over the next three years, whereas a guy like D'Angelo Russell, assuming he leaves the Nets and in line to get a max deal from another team, 
is in line to be earning $117 million over the next four years, potentially a five-year $150 million deal if he stays in Brooklyn. So from a value proposition point of view, even though Levine is flawed, compared to some of the players where he sort of grades out against, I think from a contract perspective, he's actually become a pretty underrated deal right now. And I think that gets lost in the conversation too. Uh, I want to throw this at you guys. So let's say the Bulls do not do this trade. Let's say they stick at number seven. Let's say they take Kobe White. Let's say they sign Patrick Beverly to a free agent contract with a big salary for a short-term deal. In that scenario, who do you want to lead the Bulls in field goal attempts next year? Not who do you think will, but who would you like to? I mean, I Mari guess Martin is the guy right, right. I was gonna say, really yeah. want to try to develop to be your star perimeter scorer, even though he's seven feet tall. I think most Bulls fans would probably agree with that. Well, one way to get Markinen into being that primary scorer is by getting Levine off the team. And then around him, you just have a bunch of good guys who, you know, smart, defense, big. I mean, that whole team would be fucking 6'6", strong, and smart. And yes, Lonzer and Culver have shooting holes in their game, but Porter is really a great glue guy in terms of both being able to defend, have length, and have shooting ability. I think Wendell Carter is going to be a total stud. I would like to see the Bulls use him more as an offensive initiator, uh, you know, passing out of the high post and running him on some sets the way they used to do with Joe Kim Noah. And then around him, you just got a bunch of smart guys. Like, Maybe the lack of shooting would be an Achilles heel. You can always go get shooters, but it's hard to find strong two-way players. It's hard to find smart guys. It's hard to find good passers. I would really like a potential lineup of Lonzo, Culver, Porter, Lowry, and Wendell Carter. Now, of course, just because the Bulls get the fourth pick doesn't mean they're taking Wendell Carter. They could also take Darius Garland and then start Garland with Lonzo at the two. Uh, And I think those guys would kind of complement each other well as well i don't love garland but i think that you know he's potentially interesting because it was an off the dribble shooting ability it's just something to think about i I think also one issue here as well is just i guess the patience factor i feel like a lot of bulls fans probably think that the bulls can really be like a playoff team next year and like be like a big surprise and like this is a trade that's probably setting you back like i mean i'm assuming culver's not going to come in and like be really good right away uh, Lonzo clearly has not silver and proven and a lot of teams think or a lot of people Bulls fans think if they will if they keep this core that they have and they add a few nice pieces like this is a playoff team so like if you're making this trade you're probably taking a bit of a step back I mean they, they might just be terrible anyways even I mean, who knows we'll see but like, like that, that probably plays into this as well we're like oh well enough of like the young players like we need to make take a step forward uh, make the playoffs next year and all that and I feel like that's probably also coloring this conversation a bit which i i do under i do understand like being shitty all the time is bad and like going through rebuilds and having the patience and especially because fans hate gar packs they want to see them go so to basically have them i don't want to say necessarily kick the can down the road but kind of do that and like really be more patient with this and getting more leeway with the rebuild might not sit well with a bunch of fans so i think that also probably plays in it plays in it as well mark to your point about like the contract thing with levine I mentioned the Devin Booker thing. If a guy like Jamal Murray, I know Ricky has brought up Jamal Murray as kind of like a Levine comp as well. Like I feel like he's going to get a massive deal, probably a, maybe a max deal from the Nuggets. So I feel like the, the the value there with Levine, I think, is getting better with the contract. 
overall, like I, I do see both sides of this. I like Will and funny Will Gottlieb is actually tweeting about this stuff right now as we're talking about this and how he's on Ricky's side, how he really liked the Lonzo Culver, uh, Porter, Wendell, Lowry lineup. And I mean, I can see it. Like if, if it worked out well and like Lonzo came around and if Culver became a really good player, like that would be a really fun, versatile team. It just, it's just like hard to see like, oh, Levine's a really good scorer, really elite offense player. It's hard to trade that away when you're dealing with some of these just unknowns with Lonzo and Culver. Yeah, and again, Will's another respected voice who I had on the show last week. And again, like I said before, it's Ricky, it's Will, it's a lot of other people saying that this is would be a smart thing to do. And this is where I'm sort of sitting here questioning myself more than anything else. But yeah, it's a weird topic. And it, again, we've, we've gone on for like 35, 40 minutes talking <laughs> about something that may not even materialize. But I think I think the, the reason why we're able to expand on this topic for such a length, and we could probably go on for another you know, a few hours at least is the fact that the players involved in this hypothetical type deal uh, are polarizing type players, whether it's Zach Levine himself. I, I know some of the fan base is in on him. Some of them aren't necessarily in on him at all, but then even someone like Lonzo Ball is exactly the same type of player uh, for the Lakers. Jarrett Culver is a prospect. I mean, I personally have him in the top four, but a lot of people probably wouldn't even have him in their top five. So we're, we're talking about and dealing with players who... I guess they're not necessarily home runs and, and there, there will be varying opinions about them. So I guess that's what enables this conversation to be such such an interesting one and, and we're able to expand on it for such a long time. But in the interest of time, I think we should close with with maybe the, the reality that the Bulls probably don't get involved in this Davis trade. I say that now, but that probably will happen <laughs> given that I've said it and, and spoken it into right existence. Right when we're done, the trade's going to happen. Probably. Right, right as we probably. finish this podcast. <laughs> that would be very disappointing. But um, let, let, let's close with the assumption that the Bulls retain pick number seven. They don't get invo- involved in this Davis trade. Things stay as is and um, they, they're, they're walking into the draft with pick number seven. I want to get your, your take on who the Bulls should be taking at number seven assuming uh, Zion, Barrett, Morant, uh, Garland, maybe uh, maybe, maybe, I'll I'll let you guys decide as to whether Culver or Kobe White is still on the board, but give me your situation for number seven as to what the Bulls should be doing, assuming they hold on to number seven coming up to the draft. Yeah, not the most recent episode of Cash Considerations, but the one we did last week, I gave my Bulls top five board. And really, it's a two-person board. Jared Culver's number one, Kobe White's number two. If both those guys are gone, I would either trade back or trade out of the draft totally. Uh, And the Bulls, you know, even if they stay at seven and Culver's not there, I like Kobe White. I can make a case for Kobe White for the seventh pick, absolutely. But uh, I do think that, you know, the trade back or the trade out should also be something the Bulls are looking at because, you know, in a draft that everyone sort of agrees isn't that good, uh, there might be more value to that seventh pick and just like trying to hit it next year than than uh, taking a swing this year. So I do like Kobe White though, and if, I've talked about Culver a bit, so let's move to Kobe White. Uh, I released a big Kobe White feature this week at SBNation.com. You can check it out. Uh, talked to his high school coach, where uh, at his high school, he broke the North Carolina state record for most points in a career. So this is a guy who's always been built to score, uh, measured at six, four and three quarters at the combine. So he's bigger than people give him credit for. He doesn't always play up to that size because, you know, compare him to someone like Shea Gilgis Alexander, who's only an inch taller than him, but Gilgis Alexander also has eight inches of wingspan on him. So Kobe only having a proportional wingspan, a six, five wingspan, not having great strength, 
I think that that is a knock against him in terms of his size, but there's a lot I do like about him. And mostly it's that he has room to grow at the stuff he's already pretty good at. We're going to start with his pull-up shooting ability. Now, as a catch-and-shoot guy, he finished in the 92nd percentile in the country in terms of catch-and-shoot attempts. So to me, that means he's a player who could play well both on or off the ball. I think you groom him as a point guard, but you know, having him be able to like spot up and run around the three-point line and being a really strong catch-and-shoot guy is going to be really beneficial for the Bulls. In terms of his facilitating ability, I think that it's already pretty good and it's got room to get better. We had John Wasserman on Cash Considerations a couple days ago, uh, the great NBA draft writer for Bleacher Report, and I asked him this question, what do you have more faith in, uh, Kobe White's passing ability or John Morant's pull-up shooting? And he said Kobe's passing. I think Kobe does have a lot of room to improve as a passer, but he's already pretty good. He's someone who has been uh, built as a scorer throughout his entire life up to this point. Look around the NBA and most of the great point guards, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, Russell Westbrook, they're score first guard. So I think that having a guy like that, who's always going to put pressure on the opposing defense, who's a threat to pull from anywhere on the court and who's going to have value in terms of his gravity off the ball with his three point shooting is going to be really interesting. Kobe White's pull-up shooting was not particularly good at the college level, only finished in the 27th percentile. But go read my piece. I put a bunch of step-back jumpers in there. He looks pretty good off the dribble in terms of his balance, in terms of the power he's generating on those shots. He has a very quick and repeatable uh, shot shooting stroke. So I really like Kobe White quite a bit. The thing about him is that he always plays super fast. He might be the fastest guy in this draft in terms of having the ball in his hands. Always going to play with pace, improving as a playmaker, improving as a pull-up shooter, already a really good catch-and-shoot guy. I think that he's got room to grow as a pull-up shooter and a passer. So, you know, his upside, I think, is kind of sneaky high. Defensively, he might only be a one-position defender, but he's got pretty good size. Uh, So I think, you know, despite the lack of length, he could at least probably hold his own in terms of being a defensive player. I I like him quite a bit. Yeah, I don't have much more to add. Ricky's uh, Ricky's the draft expert here. He's he sold me on Culver being really good, and obviously I feel like we all agree on that. And I'd be, I'd be fine with Kobe White. Bulls need a point guard. He seems like it would it would at least be a pretty solid fit. So I'm sold there. One before I guess before we wrap up here, there was a quick draft rumor that's been going on with the Bulls that they like Jackson Hayes, center from Texas. Casey brought it up again today, I believe. Uh, that the Bulls are intrigued by him. Like, what do you guys make of with them possibly taking a, another big man at number seven? Or do you think that's maybe a smokescreen for a possible trade back? Like, I, I, I guess I don't really see it. I mean, if they like him, best player available. Sure, if they really want to, it just seems really weird. So there's this Twitter guy who covers the draft named Sam Mazzulio. I'm probably butchering his name, but you can see him on Twitter at Sam, S-A-M-M. A-Z-Z-3, Sam Maz 3. He did a big board that I was poking around at yesterday, and he's got Jackson Hayes as the number two overall player on his big board. He has that just because of the special movement ability Jackson Hayes has, his ability to get up and down the floor is really, really rare. Uh, I think that there's a chance that Jackson Hayes could morph into a great player eventually after a couple years in the league, which is what he's going to need to bulk up. But I just don't think he'd be a good fit for the Bulls because they don't need a third center. I think a lot of teams would already be playing marketing at center. So to get, you know, three centers would be pretty tough. Uh, I, I think it's interesting, but I, I don't know. I'd, I'd pass. Yeah, I mean, to me, 
I'm typically take the best player available kind of kind of guy, and maybe I don't know. Maybe the Bulls view Hayes as that kind of player. I'm assuming. Let's let's assume it's at number seven. If that's the case, I don't know. Maybe he could theoretically be the best player available at number seven. Depends on on how you want to scout him, obviously. But to me, just the concept of the fit and, and taking three big men in three successive drafts with three successive number seven picks that to me kind of sounds insane, but. I don't know. It's it's an interesting situation. I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because I was probably going to forget it. I had it in my rundown <laughs> sheet. But, I mean, Casey Johnson uh, threw it out there the other day and, like you said, put put it out there again today. I would kind of be into it if it was maybe a trade-down move where you pay, pick up two assets for the one, but as, as a sole pick for number seven, and that would be your main first-round pick for this year, I think that would be kind of nuts. Yeah, I kind of with you. If they were able to trade back and get something, sure, why not? Uh... Take a take a shot. They do need big man depth. Uh, I mean, we don't know what their bench. The big they could run like a, the three man rotation with the young big guys. They'll probably sign another guy or two. But uh, yeah, as if that's if you're coming away with your, that your lone first round pick, I would certainly just be kind of confused as well. Well, what makes it interesting is the fact that I mean, Ricky talked about Jared Culver and Kobe White as being one and two on his board there at, at number seven. But there's a real scenario where Jared Culver goes at five, Kobe White goes in six, and the Bulls are sort of left between DeAndre Hunter, Jackson Hayes, Cam Reddish, and a few others. So maybe there's more leaks to this than what we initially anticipate. And I mean, that would be, would be a kind of a nightmare um, scenario for me, at least, having to sort of make a pick in between, you know, one of Hayes, Reddish, or... Or, um, take Bull Bull. Ricky loves Bull Bull. Oh, Bull. oh yeah, that, that's another name. That's another one I disagree with you on, Ricky, but uh, we probably don't have enough time to get into it <laughs> on that one. We've spent long enough uh, going over the Levine and Lonzo stuff to the point where we sort of run out of time here. So I, we'll wrap up here, but I appreciate you guys jumping on. Before I let you get away, tell the people where they can follow you. Obviously, they probably already know anyway if they're listening to this podcast, but give a shout out to um, your Twitter handle, to what you got coming out from um, on SB Nation, wherever else. Just uh, let the people know. Yeah, so I'm really excited about this next week of draft coverage at SB Nation. I got a really fun, uh, interactive draft quiz that we're debuting on Monday where you're going to be able to put in the attributes that you want, be it wingspan, athleticism, three-point shooting, passing, ball handling, uh, switchable defense, rim protection. You're going to be able to choose three attributes, and we're going to spit out players for you. And I wrote all the blurbs. I came up with the idea. I think that that's going to be really cool for people who aren't super familiar with this draft class to get a better handle on it. Uh, So that's dropping Monday. On Tuesday, I'm going to have a big profile on Jarrett Culver. On Wednesday, I'm going to do a mock draft. And on Thursday right now, I'm planning on doing a little thing about how Zion Williamson and John Morant uh, became friends on the AAU circuit. They were AAU teammates when they were sophomores. So, uh, And then, you know, on Thursday during the draft, I'll be doing live draft grades for SB Nation. So really excited about this draft. I think it's been, you know, a pretty interesting class. Obviously, not exactly getting rave reviews outside of Zion, but there's still a lot of uh, pretty cool, fun players in it. And then the day after the draft on that Friday, I'm going to have a 2020 big board, your early mock draft. Oh, yeah. So uh, get ready for that as well. Uh, yeah, I definitely – I'm not Mr. Draft. Rookie's Mr. Draft takes all that stuff. So I'll be doing some stuff. You can find – I do a lot of stuff at Forbes, uh, Bet Chicago, still do some stuff at Bloggable. All that fun stuff. You can follow me at Bulls underscore J if you don't already. Uh, and then also shout out to ClutchPoints.com. Been doing some editing there. We've been ramping up, ramping up there, trying to trying to build that build that brand there. So, and then of course, cash considerations. We just had a pod come out uh, where we talked 
some of the stuff we talked about today, but we expanded on some stuff there as well. We had Jonathan Wasserman on, great draft guy. Uh, tons of good insight there on the draft. And just in general, please do please do listen to Cash Considerations when you can. And, uh, and uh, obviously, it's nice to have uh, another Bulls podcast as part of Blue Wire Pods with, here with Bulls HQ. Definitely. I mean, Bulls HQ and Cash Considerations, both the top two uh, Bulls podcasts on the Blue Wire Sports pod- podcast right. network. So um, <laughs> uh, I appreciate you guys jumping on. Definitely listening to Cash Considerations. Have that subscribe, five-star reviews for Cash Considerations and follow Ricky and Jason on Twitter. But again, thanks for coming on, guys. Thank you. Fun week ahead. All right. So that just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Follow me on Twitter at MK Hoops. Follow the show on Twitter too at Bulls HQ Pod. Five star reviews on iTunes if you do get the chance. And why would you not give this podcast a five star review? You definitely should. But I will be back later this week, either before the draft or after the draft. We'll definitely have draft analysis coming out for you guys once the draft is sort of wrapped up here. But as Ricky said, it's going to be a fun week. We'll see what the Bulls do as to whether this this whole conversation that we had about Lonzo, Levine, all that sort of stuff, whether it actually materializes or whether it was just wild speculation on, on our part. Or maybe the Bulls just take a, take a player at number seven. We'll see what happens. We'll, we'll see how that all transpires over the week. But like I said, we'll be coming at you over the next week with some Bulls HQ episodes. So until then, this has been Bulls HQ. Thanks for listening. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.